y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith American Podcast, Volume 40. And in those 40, this just might be my favorite conversation yet. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. We have an amazing chat this week for you guys with former Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Heinz Ward, who has a new job. He's the Director of Player Development for the newly formed Alliance of American Football. They get underway on February 9th. Y'all make sure to check out the Alliance of American Football. There are so many interesting names involved in that league, whether it's Steve Spurrier, Mike Martz, Hines, Jared Allen, Oz Hakeem, on and on. Former NFL stars, former NFL great coaches involved in this league. And it's so interesting to hear Hines describe what they're actually trying to do. And that's not the only thing that's interesting, trust me. we t- It's a myriad of topics that we discuss. That includes Hines' very interesting take on his own career, whether or not he believes he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, what's going on between Antonio Brown and the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, his unbelievable accomplishment in completing the Kona Ironman Triathlon back in 2013, He won the Mirrorball Trophy in Dancing with the Stars. It's unbelievable, this man's life. It's a fascinating conversation. Again, and and the thing I love about it the most, and you guys will too, is just how passionate he is. When you can feel the passion, you know it's special. And, man, that dude lives the passion. So it's a very special conversation. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. Before we get to my conversation with Heinz Ward, I want to remind you guys that Dollar Shave Club has everything that you need to look, feel, and smell your best. I love that Dollar Shave Club does that for me. I live on the road. Dollar Shave Club goes with me everywhere. Just got back from New York City. It went with me. I've been all over the world. Dollar Shave Club goes with me. What I love the most is the fact that I never have to go to the store. That's because, one, Dollar Shave Club delivers everything I need right to my door, and, two, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I never run out. Here's how it works. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready no matter what you're getting ready for. They have you covered head to toe, hair, skin, face, you name it, they have it. And they also have a new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on the products you use. You determine what you want and when you want it. And it shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. Plus, with their handsome discount, the more you buy, the more you save. Right now, they've got a bunch of starter sets you can try for just $5, like their oral care kit. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at regular prices. So what are you waiting for? Get your starter set right now for just 5 bucks at dollarshaveclub.com slash smith. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash smith now i can't wait for you guys to hear this here is my wide-ranging fascinating conversation with heinz ward all right guys uh what an honor to have heinz ward as my guest on the marty smith's america podcast this dude has lived such a fascinating life and we'll get to all the reasons why throughout this interview but Heinz uh let's start with your newest endeavor the Alliance of American Football what's your role there and why did you choose it um just really my role is to be the head of player development and I mean I just think playing in 14 years in the NFL I kind of know what players I've lived it I know what players need both on and off the field so having an opportunity to help these guys 
fulfill their dreams to maybe one day make it to the NFL. Uh, that's the reason why I signed up, uh, along with Troy Palomalu, Justin Tuck, and Jared Allen. Uh, a lot of us really want to go, you know, give back to the game and also help um, start and, and revive some of these guys' careers. And, and hopefully one day they do get that opportunity to make it back to, to the NFL. Is that mostly what these guys aspire to do in the alliance is to have a showcase to get back to the National Football League? Is that what you've well, learned? Yeah, it's just an opportunity, man. It's all about an opportunity to, to really showcase what you can do. I mean, to be real with you, let's be honest. I mean, four preseason games, it just isn't enough time. And, and the problem, I think, is what's happening is you get these college kids who go undrafted. Um, they come from different backgrounds. Um, there's a lot of coaches in this league um, that really, you know, the pressure of winning. They got to win right now. So to really help develop a guy and give him the, the time that's needed to really develop to become a player, uh, well, that's kind of been lost. I mean, right now if an undrafted guy goes into training camp, he goes in there and, and based on what system or what college he went to, a lot of these guys don't know the NFL schemes. They don't know what cover – four is or cloud coverage and stuff <laughs> you know they were just taught to be in a spot and if the quarterback throws to you make a play you know so a lot of those guys are kind of behind the eight ball because you go into training camp and if you make a mistake here and there like get his butt out of there <laughs> you know so you really aren't given an opportunity where i think the alliance will provide that you're getting coached by guys uh who have success both in college and in pros they know what it takes and they're running real NFL schemes. You know, you don't have to, uh, you know, where you see some guys who go to to Canada and it's a completely different style of, of game than the NFL. So it's really hard to, to judge and, and riddle, uh, you know, critique a guy of, of his play if they're playing a completely different game. So I think it's a great opportunity for them to learn the game. Uh, so if they do get that number, their number call to, to one day make it to camp, I feel like they'll be that much further ahead because they've ran NFL schemes. So that sort of begs a, a, a two-part question. First of all, no, I mean, Hines, no other league has worked that wasn't the NFL. That's just the truth. Mm-hmm. They just haven't, right? And so why will the alliance work, and what aspiration does the league have from your perspective to maybe be formally affiliated with the NFL as a support league? Well, one, I, I think we're a complementary league. You know, we're not trying to compete with the NFL. We really just want to be to complement the NFL to really uh, educate these guys and, and be a true developmental league. Now, look at what the the G League is to the to the NBA. I think that's really what we're tr- striving to be. You know, to give uh, guys opportunities to coach. You know, to give former players. You know, my big vision is to one day have former players who inspire to be. Let's give these guys an opportunity to be uh, offensive coordinator. Uh, John Kitna, who's with our San Diego team, he is killing it right now. I'm just looking at what he brings to the table and what an opportunity for him. And then I look at the secondary guys being coached by, you know, Will Allen, uh, uh, Oz Hakeem is, is, is the receiver coach, Anthony Beck, tight end coach. So these, this, our league provides that opportunity. The guys who played the game know what these players – uh, need uh, on the field and uh, to be able to understand technique wise. So now the, our players get an opportunity to be coached by real NFL guys. So I look at that as being a true developmental league, just like the G League to 
the NBA is. So I'm super excited uh, for these guys to have that opportunity. I was out watching a scrimmage with our Memphis and Atlanta team, and, boy, these guys are getting after it. You know, it's kind of crazy how, you know, you look at it and you see these guys playing with a chip on their shoulders trying to prove each and every day that they can play at the next level. So, man, I'm, I'm super excited for their opportunity and super excited to be a part of the league and help with their development. You've mentioned some really important names in football, whether that was yeah. uh, Oz or your own or Troy Palomalu or Jared Allen. I mean, these guys are who's who of a previous era of the National Football League. How did all these guys get enticed to be a part of this? I think it starts from the top. You know, Charlie Ebersol, who his father, of course, uh, was was started the, the XFL way back in the day. <laughs> so Charlie, his vision of kind of having a league, a spring football league, to really be a complementary league uh, to the NFL. You know, I, I think that's where it starts from. Bill Polian kind of being the head of head of our league as far as the offside. Uh, I mean, Bill's well-respected in the game. And I just look at all the coaches that we have involved. You got Mike Marks uh, and Mike Riley, Dennis Erickson, Steve Spurrier, uh, Mike Singletary, Tim Lewis, Mike Riley. I mean, the list just goes on and on as far as having guys who've won it at all levels, not only just the pros, but in college, had success with national championship, Hall of Fame coaches. And I think the credibility that we bring to our league, that's why I think our league is going to last. Because I think the NFL now, you know, it doesn't interfere with them because everyone now is focusing on the college guys that are coming out. But our league get a chance to develop some players, so it just gives the NFL, a, a different pool to kind of evaluate talent. And uh, so I'm super excited about that because there's so many guys that get cut out the training camp that, you know, I believe that can, can play in the NFL, but they just aren't given the opportunity either through injuries or based on the, 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 the money, uh, you know, system as far as, you know, position-wise. If there's five guys that they already have in place, if you're that sixth receiver, you're just not going to make the team. But that's not to say that you can't play at the next level, you just weren't given the opportunity to, to showcase what you can do. And that's why I think this league, being a developmental league, kind of like the G League is to the NBA, I think is something that we need. I know fans, they want more football, and uh, we're able to provide that. So we start a week after the Super Bowl, February 9th. Can't wait. Uh, it'll be an exciting Super Bowl, and then we just hop right back into to spring football. So uh, the cities that we have our team, you can see the fan base being down here in San Antonio. They're getting fired up about our team here and the San Antonio Commanders. Uh, they're super excited to have a team here. So uh, I can't wait for the season to get going. How much is it, a, is it a developmental opportunity for you? What aspiration do you have maybe to be an NFL executive or general manager someday? Uh, you know what? I, I To me, I'm, I'm happy. I, I've been in the league. I, I know kind of the, the dynamics that go on to it. I don't have any really inspiration to one day be an executive in the NFL. You know, I'm just here. I'm here to really help players really fulfill their dreams. You know, I I, I did that as a player, you know, helped the development of San Antonio Holmes and Antoine Randall, Mike Wallace, Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders. You know, for me, all these guys are coming in and trying to take my job, but I was more just being there for those guys and help them. So when I see them have success, go off and have success, man. I just have, I get a big smile on my face just knowing that, you know, I helped in their development to help them 
be able to give them insights to, to have longevity within the league. And, and I think all the guys who I, you know, kind of helped along in their career went on to have made good money and, and went on to have success. You noted the chip on the shoulder of those in the alliance, but what about the chip on Heinz Ward's shoulder <laughs> throughout his entire National Football League career? Describe uh, well, that for me. How did that drive you? You know what? It was a saying that uh, my coach always said to me in high school. You know, you get a lot of those cliche sayings, and you pretty much can finish your coach's little uh, pep speech yeah. when he uh, <laughs> pep talk speech when he gives at the end of the day. There was one saying that I live by. I remember putting this saying in my locker. It's hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And that's something that I live by. You know, I may not be the most talented guy in anything that I do, but I'm going to work my tail off to try to uh, to have success at it. And that's just how I've always been. I, I was like that in, in school, in high school. Uh, I sat in the front row. I was very competitive academically. I would try to answer all the questions. I look back at the smart guys and give them a wink and say that I answer that question before you guys. Um, I don't know. I mean, when I was playing at recess, I didn't always pick the best players. I picked the guys who were probably dead last, you know. Um, we walked through high school or whatever and at recess or whatever. And, yes, I mean, we would lose. And guys were like, oh, we kicked your tails today. But then the days that we won and I picked a bunch of players that uh, – that probably got picked last and we ended up winning the game, um, you know, it was bragging rights for me. I think leaders, great leaders around them make others better. So I always played with a chip on my shoulder in that sense. I always wanted to, to see how good I really could be. And then when I got the opportunity to go to the University of Georgia, you know, very unselfishly, I played a lot of different positions. I didn't, you know, uh, I was just trying to do whatever it took that to, to help our team win. So by playing quarterback and running back and receiver, yes, it wasn't really my ideal way of what I imagined my career to be in college, but I really truly believe it enabled me to play as long as I did because the game slowed down to me by the time I got into the pros. I I understood coverages. I understood what quarterbacks were thinking. And then when I got into this league, every year it seems like they were drafting the first-round guy to take my position, Troy Edwards, Plexico Burry, San Antonio, Antoine Randall, all these guys were drafted to take my spot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just play with a chip. I say, hey, you guys draft all these guys, and I got to work even harder to prove to you that I, I'm the, I'm your guy, you know. And, and I finally got that uh, kind of acceptance from Coach Bill Cower when he finally gave me some praise in Super Bowl Forty. He said, hi, huh, tell of a catch. I was like, well, damn, I've been wanting that. <laughs> I've been wanting to hear that my whole Entire career, you know, but uh, that's what it took uh, to, to, to win over Coach Cower back in the day, then, then so be it. But I think, you know, for me, having that chip on the shoulder really made me the player that I am and, and really the guy who I am today. You look at stories, even like Tom Brady. I mean, he still feels like he's that guy that got drafted in the sixth round, you know, so he plays with a chip on his shoulder. He's never going to forget where you come from, so – each and every time you get an opportunity, you know, you can see Tom kind of, you know, saying, hey, I want to make sure I dominate the game as much as possible. <laughs> What's the challenge of mentoring someone and trying to grow them as a professional when you know that they were positioned there to try to take your job? Uh, I mean, that's tough. I mean, for me, of course, I wanted the respect by my peers, so a lot of me, myself, and I, you know, you want that respect. I wanted to be 
uh, recognized, you know, in the league. And then when I got named to the Pro Bowl, I felt like I had that respect. But at the end of the day, you play this game to win Super Bowls. And I know, you know, it wasn't all about me. I know that, you know, if I'm getting double covered, then I had to make sure that San Antonio or Randall and those guys are able to learn the game because they're going to have to make plays when they take me out of the game. So I felt like my role as a leader, and, and, and I had a great one that I kind of um, learned from in Jerome Bettis, is not all about yourself. You know, we always had a great – we always had good teams in, in Pittsburgh, but it wasn't just about one guy. And I learned early in my career that it wasn't just about me, that it was about the team. You know, and that's the reason you saw me blocking. Like, I blocked like no other. I wanted to, uh, to to kill guys on the field because I wanted to win games. You know, and I tell guys, each and every rookie that comes into this league, that I've kind of uh, helped mentor a coach. I said, I, I just want to know where their mindset was. Would you rather have 80 catches and 900 yards and, like, eight TDs but win a Super Bowl, or would you rather have – 120 catches, 1,500 yards, and 15 TDs, and not make the playoffs. And you'll be amazed at the answer that I got. What <laughs> a are lot they? of guys, a lot of young guys wanted the, 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 the 110 catches and the 1,500 yards. And that was shocking to me because it's like, man, you know, me being an older guy, yes, I had that mentality young because, you, you know, you only play this game for so long. And we all know football contracts aren't guaranteed, so you're trying to, maximize your opportunity and make the most money as possible. But at the end of the day, there's no greater feeling than winning the Super Bowl. And it took me that. So early in my career, I was that young, hot-headed guy that wanted to catch 110 balls, but uh, didn't happen. And even when uh, my best probably statistic year was with Tommy Maddox. You look at my career, yes, I caught 112 balls, had over 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns, and um, and I wasn't even all pro. <laughs> you know, the year I think Marvin Harrison caught 144 catches and stuff like that. So it seems like my whole life I was just trying to do all that I could to just make a name for myself. That's why I blocked the way I did. And then, um, you know, going around and playing different opponents. I mean, having former coaches say, hey, man, I hate you as a player, but I would love to have you on my team. <laughs> um, that was the greatest compliment you can get. So, you know, it, was, it wasn't all about my stats anymore. I stopped looking at stats. You know, I wanted to win Super Bowls, and I was blessed uh, to have that opportunity. I played in three. I won two, and I was a Super Bowl MVP. So I got everything I wanted uh, out of the NFL. And, and so to, to be in a, a position to help mentor guys and, and help them achieve their dreams, to me, that's what it's all about. That's who I've always been, even when I was playing in, in Pittsburgh. I wanted to help these young guys. So, uh, I really wasn't scared of competition. Uh, so so what? You know, I know these guys are trying to come in and take my position, but I just thought by I always thought that competition brings out the best in everyone and inspired me to go out and make plays. So I was never really worried about anyone taking my job or anything like that. And as these players, they went on and played in other organizations, man, and, and I watched them have success. Like I said, it just gave me a big smile on my face knowing that, you know, I help impact their lives and help develop them into the, 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 the receivers that they became. You noted how the young dudes are all about the numbers, are all about the flash, <laughs> right? Well, when it comes now, to especially now with right. the, the social media, right? <laughs> right, right, the me world, the 140-character Twitter, Instagram world. 
It's all so, about the likes, Marty. It's all about the is, likes, man. <laughs> Hines, there is no one who's putting up numbers in the NFL like Antonio Brown. No But question. yet there's this schism right right now with the Steelers. And you know that organization better than anybody else, and I know you know Antonio. So what's your perspective on what's going on right now with Antonio Brown and the Steelers? You, you know, it's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate because, you know, A.B. was young, hungry guy, trying to make a name for himself, and he got the opportunity, and, and it's just, you know, sometimes you get caught up in that world. You know, you want to be recognized all over. You want to get that respect. Well, I think for A.B., I think he's done that. You know, the numbers that he put up, he's putting up Jerry Rice's number, which is just mm-hmm. phenomenal, right? So, but then sometimes, you know, you look at the Kansas City situation where he was FaceTiming, uh, Facebook living while, you know, Coach Tomlin was giving it. That's when you know kind of the younger generation, kind of the social media world's taking over. I mean, guys care about that. Um, you know, they care about letting fans into that inside world. They care about, getting 3 million followers and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, it's just a different time. It's a different generation. And I just know in Pittsburgh, the culture there is they don't really care about stats. You know, our city is known for Super Bowls. You know, it's great that what Antonio Brown has put up over the past six years. But at the end of the day, man, it's really about championships. And it's, it's unfortunate and disappointing to have all the talent with Le'Veon Bell, Big Ben, and A.B., have all that talent on the field, and, and there's no championships to show for that. Uh, it's kind of disappointing, and and me being a former player and just seeing all the the, the, the off the field distractions. I mean, that's not Pittsburgh culture. I mean, we just line up and play football and just bust guys in the mouth. You know, we don't have cheerleaders. Uh, we don't have elaborate kind of introductions. We just run out on the field and we just play ball. And now it seems like we're talking more about. Uh, the off-the-field stuff, the stuff that don't really matter rather than football. I think Jesse James said it compared uh, the Steelers kind of, the tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers call themselves the Kardashians. <laughs> and that's legitimate. That's a legitimate reason. You look at it, and it's really all about uh, the Steelers off-the-field stuff rather than on the field. So uh, it's an unfortunate incident. Hopefully, you know, the owner came out and said he probably doesn't see, you know, A.B. on the team, but you know, sometimes I look at it, uh, you know, it ain't always greener on the other side, you know. So for Antonio Brown, I, I wish he could have just finished out his career. Who's not to say that he's still not there, but uh, things doesn't look, they don't look good in, in Pittsburgh with AB and the Pittsburgh Steelers. You played in an era before targeting, before this player safety push, and you went into the arena. You ran across the middle against guys like Ray Lewis. And I can't imagine what that was like. I want you to put me, <laughs> Hines, put me in that arena. What is oh, that arena? I, listen, I, I mean, it's literally like the the movie Gladiator. You know, when you walk into the arena and you hear the fans saying, kill, kill, kill. <laughs> you know, playing in Baltimore, going against Ray Lewis, man, that's what it was like. It was like Baltimore week was just phenomenal to me. I mean, really, Baltimore, that rivalry made me the player who I was. You know, uh, leading up to the week, our players, you couldn't wear purple. You couldn't have purple Jordans or purple sweatshirt. That went in, it went into the garbage. <laughs> Anybody grab, you had any purple on, they were going to throw that in the trash can. So it was a genuine dislike for each other, uh, but total utmost respect. 
you know, uh, Suggs, Ed Reed, uh, Ray Lewis, all those guys, man, it was a battle. So leading up to the week, the weight room was always packed because you knew what type of game. It really didn't matter what the record was. Uh, you just hated it, hated those guys. And, and when we played, I think it showed. I mean, we went at it. And uh, I just remember early in my career, man, Ray, Ray hit me so hard. I kind of, it's like that movie Ghost. I saw my soul run out of my body, look back, <laughs> look back down, and saw my body laying on the ground. So, uh, But you had to bring it each and every play. So that just developed that attitude, that mentality is, you know, hit or be hit. And so the first play of the game, I remember playing those guys. You know, we see them twice a year. We play them in the playoffs. And Mike Thomas said, hey, man, set the tone for our offense. And I went out and me and Ed Reed got into it on the first play. Uh, I ended up getting jumped by three other Baltimore players. And I ended up one – I was the one who got called for penalty. <laughs> so um, that's just the mindset that I had, man. But anytime you walk in the arena playing the Ravens, man, it was like, Two bullies walking into the octagon, uh, MMA, and only one can come out of the ring. So that was just the mindset that that's what it was like playing playing the Ravens. What do you think you would you would do in today's game with so much uh, emphasis on player protection and being able to being able to move in that space more freely? Oh man, I was still I'll be putting up some huge numbers, man. I wish <laughs> I was still playing today. I mean, these guys, you know, you got to think a hundred balls. Uh, back then, that was like the landmark now. But now, you know, to catch 100 catches now, I mean, you're going to see 20, 30 guys with 100 catches. I mean, but that's just the game. That's just how it is. Um, you know, I, I played in the era where guys were knocking people's heads off when they crossed the middle. <laughs> you know, I played against Rodney Harrison and, and all these, these 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 guys are just, man, when you came across the middle, you had to worry about that. It was a lot of gator arms. Uh, coming across the middle because of those guys. But now the game's a little safe, uh, a little safer for guys to play, and, and it should be. I mean, football's a violent sport. You know, it's not made for everyone. Everyone's not made to put on that helmet and put on pads and go into that arena and get ready to battle with another team. But I loved every minute of it. I love comp- competing. I love getting hit just as much as I love uh, hitting someone. You know, me laying someone out had the same feeling as scoring a touchdown. So I loved every aspect of football. And like I say, I was very blessed to play 14 years of it and really got everything that I wanted out of it. You talked about wanting to knock people's heads off and people wanting to knock your head off. Obviously, concussions is the narrative today. How many do you think you had? Oh, man, probably a handful of concussions. But I look at it as, you know, um, you only live once, Marty. I mean, right now, until a doctor can really tell me what's the difference you know, one concussion as opposed to a guy who had multiple concussions, there's really no answers because everyone's different. You know, I, I, I Sid Crosby had one concussion and missed the entire season. I had teammates where I know guys who had three or four concussions and go within uh, play a 16-game season. So is that to sit there and say that he's automatically going to have CTE because he's had multiple concussions rather than a guy who had one concussion and missed the entire season? So there's there's a lot of stuff that's unknown about concussions, but I think the NFL is doing a great job of trying to clean up, and I think the education about concussions really helped our game. Players know kind of, hey, you know, back when I was playing, they just say how many fingers I got up, one, two, three, name it, you went right back into the game. But well, now they're taking more precautions 
uh, you know, being more careful with guys as far as, you know, we understand. I, I think the main thing for doctors is we need somebody to help fight us against us. I mean, football, you're taught to be warrior, to be tough. So you want to get out there, you want to play, but we need somebody to keep us off, you know, to help ourselves and not trying to force ourselves to get back out on the football field. And I think that's key. And I think through education and through uh, being having more knowledge about uh, what concussions and the ramifications about concussions, I think has, has helped develop our game to make it what it is. So you can see them cleaning up the concussion rules and things like that and making the game safer so guys can go out there and play the game that they love. I know it's very difficult when you've had a career like yours and whatnot to stand on a pedestal and say, this is why I belong in the Hall of Fame. Might not even be your nature. I don't know. But I read where your head coach, Mike Tomlin, right? He believes it's asinine, asinine that you are not a Hall of Famer or at least one of those 15 men who's in that debate in that room, right? Mm-hmm. What are your th- What are your thoughts on that, Hines? Well, I don't really know what the criteria is. You know, I, to be honest, it's really out of my hands, but this is how I look at it. The, the years that I was playing in Pittsburgh, we, we didn't throw the ball that much. I remember one game specifically we played against the Houston Texans, and I had on the first three drives we scored, and I had probably – six catches for 89 yards. We jumped on the Texans 21-0, and then we ran the ball the entire game. All right? So we ran the ball from second quarter all the way on to the game was over. And at the end of that, that end of the game, I think, I don't even know what the score is, but you watch ESPN, and Andre Johnson had 14 catches for 190 yards. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, man, you know, but uh, we ran the ball. But I don't really get enamored with stats. And I think some guys do, um, especially the, some of the voters uh, in the, uh, with the Hall of Fame. I don't really know what's expected. I mean, it's hard. Well, they say, well, he doesn't have a bunch of all-pros. Well, I was never in the offense to really be an all-pro. The year, my best year was with Tommy Maddox. And, and you know, I had 112 catches. I was second in the league in, in, in catches, but I wasn't an all-pro. I wasn't even a starter in the All-Star game. So I just look at teams like Chicago now, look at Seattle, uh, teams that have run the ball effectively. You're not going to have the receivers aren't going to put up big times numbers, but that's not to say they're not Hall of Famers. You know, I know. So when I people compare my numbers, I, I look at it. If you want to compare my numbers, compare them to Michael Irvin. That's you know, he had a say. Hall of Fame running back. I mean, he had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, my years, you look at it, I played with eight different quarterbacks. You know, I had a young Ben Roethlisberger who we taught to just don't turn the ball over, you know. And also I had to share uh, catches with, with guys who they drafted in the first round, or guys like Plexico Bears, guys like Santonio Holmes. So, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I won Super Bowls. So I, I don't know what the criteria is. Uh, yes, I don't have a lot of yards. I mean, I got 12,000 yards, which to me is equivalent to 14,000. I didn't play in the dome. I didn't have – I wasn't in a, a passing offense. I blocked my tail off like no other. And I helped, win, I helped my team win Super Bowls. And to me, that's what it's all about. But I don't have a vote. I don't really get involved in the voting and stuff like that. 
Uh, and I never played the game to try to be a Hall of Famer. I played the game to win Super Bowls and do what I could to help my team win Super Bowls, and I did that. I was blessed playing three. Uh, I won two, and, 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 and I was Super Bowl MVP, and no one can ever take that away from me. And, and having my name compared with two Hall of Famers that played uh, for my organization with Swan and Stalwart, uh, that's the biggest uh, uh, compliment that I can get, having my name up there with those guys. So, yes, it will be a blessing to have an opportunity to, to, to one day make it to the Hall of Fame. Um, but I'm not going to get frustrated or mad. I understand it's a waiting process. And, and if I make it or don't ever make it, no one can ever take away what I've done uh, for my organization and what I've done for the game of football. You noted uh, Michael Urban. Just for the mm-hmm. sake of, of the listeners knowing, like, you know, Michael Urban is a Hall of Famer. All right, you had 250 more catches than he did. You had more yards, and you had 20 more touchdowns than he had in your careers. I'll just leave that mm-hmm. right there. You don't need to even discuss it if you don't want to. But, um, <laughs> well, listen, that's just, I, I just for the sake Irvin, of man. debate. He, he was a play, well, he was a playmaker, and that's what I love him. That's what his nickname was, a playmaker. But I just look at, you know, I don't get enamored with regular season stats. It's what you did in the postseason. It's what you mm-hmm. did when the game mattered the most. And you look at my numbers, my numbers is right up there with some of, some of the greats that, that's played the game. So, uh, I look at it as that. I don't really look at it as regular season numbers because, like I just told you, an example, I mean, that's just a situation of the game. When I was playing, we ran the ball, you know, and not to sit there and say that, you know, I'm better than Andre Johnson. I just think Andre, in his circumstances, they he were on a, they played for a losing team. He was on a bunch of losing teams, but, um, he put up great numbers, you know, with a bunch of no name, quarterback you know i was similar i had tommy maddox i had uh mike tomzak i had kent graham cordell stewart uh uh byron leftwich dennis dixon ben roethlisberger uh charlie batch uh pete gonzalez those are guys out of the thousand balls that i caught those are all the guys that threw it to me (laughs) and then antoine randall threw me a couple passes while he was at the receiver position so um you know, I was, I, listen, I love playing with all my guys, uh, um, but I was all about team. I was trying to do whatever I could to help our team out, win Super Bowls, and I think I did that. You know, when you see Jerome Bettis going to the Hall of Fame, I remember blocking my tail off because that's what I had to do to make the team. I had to block to make the team. I didn't have big numbers. I couldn't ask for a big-time contract because I wasn't putting up big-time numbers. But not to sit there and say that I couldn't do it. I had the opportunity to do it. And like I say, my best year statistically was with Tommy Maddox. You know, and I made Pro Bowls before I even got to Ben Roethlisberger. Now to see what Ben has done in the latter part of his career, yes, I'm a little jealous. I would have loved to play with Ben when he was at this stage of his career and, and lighten it up statistically. You know, but at the end of the day, it's still about winning Super Bowls. I mean, not too many guys can sit there and walk around with two Super Bowl rings on, and, and, and that means a lot. That, that means a lot. It has to stand for something. Or why else do we play the game of football? Hey, Amen. Uh, I'll get you out of here in a minute. But before I yeah. get you out of here, I gotta mm-hmm. I gotta chat a couple more things. All right, first sure, I gotta no chat. I gotta chat triathlon with you before <laughs> I let you go because I've done 
Hines, I've done my share of endurance work. I've run marathons. I've done all kinds oh, of really? triathlon. I ran the Boston Marathon. I love it, right? So, uh-huh. but you competed in Kona. This is yeah. like, it's the larger than life for people who are triathlon people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like this mecca of triathlon. So what was the lasting impact of that experience for you? You know what, man? Crossing that finish line and hearing Mike Riley say, Hans Ward, you are an Ironman. Marty, I feel like I could do anything. I felt like I was invincible. You know, um, no matter what you do in life, I want to be kind of a, a living testament that you can really do anything you want to. I want to be, I want to inspire others to try it. I mean, I had to learn how to do a triathlon in eight months. So, being a football player, I've never ran a, a mile a day in my life. <laughs> I never had to. It was all about sprint. So I was running, trying to run uh, a marathon, running like I'm running a 40 time. Well, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, ankles and knees and everything starts to fall apart. But I literally had to run, and it was different because I didn't have teammates to lean on. I didn't have mm-hmm. someone to kind of pep, push me through and help me overcome and get over that hump. But uh, I, I found out a lot about myself, uh, and I think going through training camp, there was nothing. I was already battle-tested. I knew I wasn't going to quit. Um, I knew I probably didn't know how to run or swim or bike through the, the conditions, but uh, I felt like I've been through, you know, I've been battle-tested with so many things in football and life, and that enabled me to kind of kind of push through and persevere and find my way to cross that finish line. But such an inspiration just being a part of the Ironman and so many uh, great stories from so many different people. So being a part of that, and I remember being on that bike ride, riding up high V in the, in the lava rocks right there on the highway, man, I was hallucinating at the time I was working with NBC and doing Notre Dame football. I looked over, started saying leprechauns everywhere, dancing. I really didn't know what was going on in my mind, but I kept looking down. And the one thing, the one thing to stay constant, the one thing to stay constant was everybody had that. I am that, that, that tattoo on the back of their calf. And I told myself, um, I said, Lord, if if I could somehow make it and get through it, I got to get that tattoo on my calf. So I do have that tattoo, the Iron Man cap tattoo on my cast. It's Kona 2013, man. It was something that, you know, when, I, when I'm when i feeling down or I feel like I can't do it, I just look down and I touch the back of my calf, man. And, uh, I feel like crossing that finish line, I can, I can handle anything in life. It's the ultimate endurance test. It's, and and, and <laughs> that's, that's not just physically. It's no, the ultimate it's mental endurance yeah. test as I well. I compare it. I try to compare it to playing like four football games, hurry up offense with no timeouts, no TV commercial when you just do this playing. <laughs> I got through it in 13 hours, which was so kind of like, you know, it's almost like this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Do you kind of go all in and blow a gasket where you don't even finish the race? Or do you exactly. kind of dial back and just enjoy the moment? So it was a little of both. You know, I my, I wanted to finish under 12. I felt like I could have finished under 12. But, man, when you're running out there and you're in the lava rocks and the headwinds, the crosswinds, the tailwind, man, and you're out there by yourself and you don't have anyone, you're just mentally saying, I got to get through it one mile at a time, one mile at a time. But to, to, to cross that finish line, man, it was, it was the greatest feeling ever. It's hard to describe because I – 
it's kind of, you know, my career, you look at it, man, I, I won Super Bowls, Super Bowl MVP. I crossed the finish line to Ironman. I won the Mirabal Trophy. And let me tell you, all those things right there, the Ironman was the hardest was the hardest thing ever. <laughs> By far. That. Uh, man, it, it was crazy. It was, uh, I just, you don't know words can't describe, and then your body just completely shuts down. <laughs> it's like, just for those, hold on. For those I don't guys, know what for, my body just went through. <laughs> right. And it just, yeah. for you guys listening, you need to understand something. Okay. This is, you start, it is, it 2. is 4. complete bedlam from the start. All right. It's a yeah. two and a half near, it's a 2.4 mile yeah, swim 2. in open water and everybody goes at once. Like you're getting yeah. your ass kicked before you ever get <laughs> punched in the face, kicked in the nuts. Like it's miserable. Hey, I got a story, Barney. They started right there on Kona. <laughs> And I got caught in between two females, and they beat my tail. And came, like, I heard the, the cannon go off. I got slapped. I drank a bunch of salt water. And then it, I felt like I was back on the gridiron. So I kind of elbowed the one lady to my right. I kicked the lady behind me. I kicked her in the forehead. And I was just smiling. Just, I had to get them off of it, yeah, because they, they were – I started to – I feel claustrophobic. They were just crawling all over me, trying to hurry up and get to it. And I needed my space. But if you had never been in that position, I'd oh, never trained crazy. in a mass start like that. So when we had a mass start and everyone's just going crazy like that, man, I kind of panicked and it took me back to the football field. So if the ladies are who are listening to your podcast show, man, I apologize because I know <laughs> I kicked one lady dead in the forehead. She was, she was telling my ankle every time and it annoyed me. So I, I kicked her right in the forehead to get off. Me. <laughs> that, uh, that mental part of it is funny because just a quick story. I know you got to run. I've kept you too long, but no, this, uh, all good. one of the marathons I ran uh, was in Dublin, Ireland, and I'm making my way through. My pace is awesome. I'm digging. Like eight miles or so into the race, you run into what is their sort of their White House. It's this big park, and you're running around their government buildings, and there was a row of what must have been forty or fifty porta johns, and I'm running by all these people. It's three, four people deep at all these Porta Johns. I'm like, man, it would suck to be you. And as I'm going past the last one, I lock eyes with this lady. And I look uh-huh. at her and I'm sitting there thinking, God, it sucks to be you. Your time's going to suffer so bad. Hines, mile 22, same late. She passed me. <laughs> she stopped, took a dump or something. <laughs> and now has has passed me at mile. I've never been so demoralized. It was uh, oh, man, I, quite a it moment. Happens, but, it happens. You got to check your ego at the door. When I absolutely. first started learning, and I was doing half Ironman, you know, I looked down and I heard this god awful noise just coming up behind me. Just this lady just huffing and puffing, and just I thought she was about to die. I looked down at her calf, and she had 82 on the back of her calf. You know, you put your age on the back yep. of your calf. Yep. And I never felt so out of shape. And the, <laughs> I tried to catch that 82-year-old woman, and I could not catch her. <laughs> I said, she ran me out of my form, and I was so, I was like, I, I remember telling my, my Hall of Fame coach, uh, Miss Paula Newby Frazier, she dominates the Ironman world. I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to do Kona. I just got beat by an 82-year-old woman. And it was it, 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 it humbles you. You know, here you are thinking that you're this world-class athlete. You played football for 14 years, and this 84-year-old woman is passing me up in the, 
and the half Iron Man. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so yeah. you have to check your ego at the door and all the uh, endurance of that. Couple quick Dancing with the Stars stories. Yeah. I kept this till last so that my wife would actually listen to the entire thing. That's the one <laughs> thing in life she cares about the uh, most. What did you learn about yourself while you did that show? Man, you know what? I really didn't know much. We was coming off a disappointing loss to the Green Bay Packers uh, in the Super Bowl. Uh, it was my third one. Of course, I felt like we had a great opportunity to win that one, which I, sh- I should have three rings now instead of the one Aaron Rodgers is sporting around. Um, <laughs> but, no, you know, it was a nice little consolation gift for me. They have an opportunity to do Dancing with the Stars. And let me just tell you now, I'm probably more famous for Dancing with the Stars sure. than I am the 14 years of playing football. I mean, I, I believe that. everywhere I go now, I mean, people always ask me for a dance. I can't go to grocery stores. Everyone wants to know how Kim Johnson's doing with the twins. I mean, I, I get noticed. I get everywhere I go. People always care about. Now it's kind of, you know, I kind of scratch my head because guys are asking me now. I'm like, hey man, aren't you that dancer? I said, hell no. I played football for 14 years, darn it. <laughs> so that's how you know you crossed over and made it big. But I wouldn't change it for the world, man. I, I've learned a lot about myself. It was something that, for me, I never went to my high school prom because I was afraid of dancing. You know, I could dance and do the running man and do all the clown dances and stuff, but I never knew how to do the pasta doble. Hell, I don't even know how to, know how to spell pasta doble. More <laughs> or less, go out there and do the technique. But it definitely changed my life. It, it put me in a different realm of, of kind of the audience. Um, but I'm so glad I did it. And so I always cheer on all the guys who've been on the show. Of course, Emmett Smith was the first. Uh, NFL player to win it. I was the first active NFL player to win it. Then Donald Driver uh, came behind me. And then, uh, so I, I just cheer on all the NFL guys that, that participated because I know how hard it is. And I know once they, once the, once you get on on that ballroom and it says, Heinz Ward, Kim Johnson doing a cha cha, I almost blacked out. It was the most <laughs> overwhelming thing because, man, to be out there, it's the, it's the realest reality show that's going on because they record your mistakes and you're in a ballroom you feel so out of element but at the end of the day you don't it's fascinating that you can make it and get through it and actually do the routine and then have to sit there and take the constructive criticism by the judges and things like that but i'm glad i did it man it changed my life forever so i'm super honored by that man i can't thank you enough what an amazing conversation i appreciate it Oh, I appreciate it, Marty, man. You you do a great job, man. It's always fun listening to you, do all your commentating and stuff like that, man. Keep up the great work, and anytime you need me to do another one, man, uh, don't hesitate. But you got to check us out, the Alliance. Our first game February 9th, the week out of the Super Bowl, man. I think it's going to be great, uh, great developmental league um, that complements the NFL. You're still going to see a lot of great players out here making some outstanding plays, and hopefully they get that opportunity. So I'm super excited to be a part of it. Can't wait to see it, my man. God bless you. I appreciate your time. Have a great day. All right, Marty. Anytime, my brother. Look, guys, I've now done 40 of these. Hines is the 40th guest I've had on the Marty Smith's America podcast. I am, I, I, I don't know that I've ever had an interview that was quite like that one. His honesty about his own career, his candor, his humor about everything that he's achieved. It was especially interesting for me to hear 
all of his thoughts about his time with the Steelers, what's going on with Antonio Brown right now. Uh, I loved the conversation about triathlon because I'm an, endur- an endurance sports nerd and just love that. I love the challenge of facing the challenge. And he encapsulated that so well in describing his time in the 2013 Kona Ironman Triathlon. You guys don't understand. It's the most difficult athletic feat that I think you can do. And I couldn't be more impressed with the fact that that Hines not only uh, took on that challenge, but conquered that challenge. Less than 14 hours, no less. Marty, what were, what was, just to give a perspective, what did you feel like after you finished the Boston Marathon? Hell, I felt terrible. And I kept thinking about that when he was discussing it, because what you, what you guys got to understand is you start with a 2.4 mile swim in open water. It's an, oh, it's open water. It's a shotgun start. They call it a mad start where a gun goes off and you all run like a bat out of hell straight into the ocean and you're fighting and wrestling for position to make sure that you get in the water and thereby theoretically in your own pace and out of the water without much static. You're also fighting the current. It's everything. It's way more than people and current. It's just, and, and, you know, I've not done an Ironman. I don't know that I'm capable. Everybody always says, I've said that to many of my friends and they're like, Oh, sure you are. Sure you are. If you just, if you put in the time, you guys don't understand the time element of this. I guarantee you there were days when Heinz Ward went out on a bike all by himself at 4.30 in the morning and rode 115 miles because you do the 2.4-mile swim and then you get on a bike for 112 miles and then you get off the bike and you go run a marathon. It's ridiculous. And... Uh, I just, I could have, I could interview, I could have done a 40 minute podcast, I think, just on that with him because maybe we'll do that in the future, Travis. Maybe we'll get him back on and discuss some other things because I didn't even get to get into Georgia with him. I wanted to get into the Bulldogs with him a little bit. But look, what a fascinating time. I'm just, uh, I'm a better person for, he really filled up my tank. I just, I, I could feel his passion and I could feel his intensity and I could feel his, uh, attitude, you know, you know what I mean, Travis? Like you could just feel. If you can feel that, imagine what his opponents felt when he came across the middle on a crackback block. A headache. That's what they felt. Look, man, I'm telling you, one of the toughest dudes that ever played in the game. One of the toughest dudes that ever played in the NFL. Right there. And it was funny hearing him talk about Ray and going across the middle against Ray Lewis and those amazing weeks when the Steelers were playing the Baltimore Ravens during that just nasty rivalry with so many unbelievable players on the field for both sides. Uh, what a great conversation. I just, uh, I'm so appreciative of Hines for his time and y'all make sure you check out the Alliance. Uh, as he said, it starts February 9th. I can't wait. I mean, I got to, to hear the list of people, Travis, that are involved in this league, whether it's Spurrier, he mentioned Mike Martz. He mentioned Oz Hakeem. He mentioned Jared Allen. He mentioned whoever. I mean, Bill Polian. Yeah, Bill Polian. The coaches, the coaches in this league are all very well-known names in the game. And I just think it's going to be fascinating to watch. I can't wait. I think it's so interesting that they could potentially 
Like they want to be supportive of the National Football League. They want to be a platform for these players to have an opportunity to show what they can do and maybe get an NFL opportunity as a result. That would be quite an endorsement for the league if it if it happens. And, you know, you fully expect that to happen. Somebody's going to be the star of this league and get a look. Now, on the Marty Smith's America podcast, we have the Hillbilly Hotline. You guys know this. People call in. They tell us about their tailgates. They tell us hashtag what can y'all got. They tell us about their cold beers. They tell us what their various exploits are during the week. And we had a call this week that was especially intriguing and one that you should think about. What would happen if this happened? Words, sayings, or just a way of life? Roman Candles? That's a redneck mortar launcher. That's what that is. (laughs) This is Hillbillyisms. Howdy, y'all. This is uh, Mickey Bobby from the Great White North. uh, Wishing everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Even though we're approaching the middle of, uh, I don't know what month it is right now. I think it's January. Taking a guess. Um, He's the on other it. night, Ma and I, we sat down and watched the uh, good old classic Smokey and the Bandit. Legendary. And uh, that got me thinking, like, man, that's a great theme song they have. Like, Eastbound and Down by Jerry Reed. Then I saw they had, or Midland. That country band, and they had redone that, and holy crap, they did a great job on that. And that got me thinking, if you were going to redo Smokey and the Bandit, what is your cast going to be? Ooh. Like, I don't even know. Like, outside, like, I would want Eric Church to be be, uh, the snowman driving the truck, but who has enough? tenacity to be Burt Reynolds being the bandit and Jackie Gleason being uh, being the cop. Like, I don't even know if you can redo that movie. That movie was done so well. Anyway, I can't wait to hear what you guys say. That is a very difficult question and one that I was not especially prepared for. So here's what's going to here, – here's the story. I need you guys to help us. All right, I need to know what you guys think about what the new cast of Smokey and the Bandit would be. This is a very difficult question because you're talking about hallowed ground. You're talking about one of the most well-cast movies ever and one of the most beloved movies ever. So be careful. Take your time. Have a couple cold ones before you answer. And put a list together for me. And hit us up on the Twitter machine. At Marty Smith ESPN. At Travis Rockhold. And Travis, we should create a hashtag for this. Right? What should it be? Let's call it hashtag new bandit. Good one? Is that a good hashtag? We're going to call it hashtag new bandit. And send it to at Marty Smith ESPN and at Travis Rockhold. With the hashtag new bandit. And on the next podcast, we're going to, we're going to really break this down and we're going to, maybe we'll even drag McGee out of retirement and bring him on here so that we can have this conversation. I like how he has the chief in there though. That's pretty good. I like that. Of all the amazing conversations that I've been blessed to have on this podcast, that one with Heinz Ward was way up the top. I mean, what a great, what awesome insight. I just, 
uh, it, it was really special to get to spend that time with him. So, Travis, thank you so much for securing Hines for the podcast. Uh, I appreciate so much what you do all the time, not just for the Marty Smith's America podcast, but for Marty and McGee as well. We are back, guys, on the radio and simulcast on SEC Network. They put us on TV. They put us on TV. Hey, man, country comes to town. You can't deny it. Just pack a lunch. Every Saturday morning, 7 to 9 Eastern time on ESPN Radio and on SEC Network. Partly it's, uh, cloudy. It's a great time. Say what? Partly cloudy. It's a guaranteed weather oh, every Saturday morning. You can count on that Saturday morning forecast. It's going to be partly cloudy. So thank you so much to you guys for supporting that, supporting this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. It matters that you do it for us. Go to iTunes. And wherever you get your podcasts and just take the moment for us to subscribe, rate and review, please. Tell us what you think. Review it. Tell us if you like it. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like so that we can adjust and make it better. I'm so appreciative that Louise is crazy enough to let us produce this podcast. Thanks so much to you guys for your commitment to it. I, I just, uh, it's the joy of my life to get to spend this time with these folks. And it means so much to me when you guys tell me that you enjoy it because we certainly enjoy it and i know you got something out of today's lastly as i do every week i want to say thank you so much to our military it's amazing what they do every day and it's appreciated what you guys do every single day we're free for a reason y'all and it's our men and women in uniform all around the world making sure that we get the opportunity to be free and live in the greatest country in the world that is episode 40 of the Marty Smith's America podcast. Thank you all for hanging out. We'll catch you next time around.